Amen. Well, please take your Bibles, and if you'll turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we'll be starting this morning. Uh, today's the last message in our foundation, Foundations of Marriage series. It's been a real short series, just four weeks. We often go longer than that, but uh, uh, we've covered a lot of ground uh, in four weeks. Uh, in week one, just by way of review, we looked at God's original design for marriage as affirmed by Jesus in the Gospels. And that design has not changed. And through Jesus' words, we were able to formulate uh, a, a biblical definition of marriage. And let me review that with you once again. Marriage was created by God as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. Created by God as a sacred covenant relationship between a man and a woman based on a public vow of lifetime faithfulness. So there, there's our foundation. There's our definition. And then in week two, uh, we looked at how God designed marriage to be a picture of Himself. We saw that marriage is a picture of God uh, as Trinity. Uh, marriage is a picture of God and His people. It's also a picture of Christ and His church. So we've got a 3D picture uh, uh, in marriage uh, of God and His people. And then last week we looked at five challenges to marriage, right? Five challenges that together are chipping away at these foundations, uh, these foundations of marriages designed by God. And we saw those five challenges are premarital sex, homosexuality, living together, divorce, and adultery. And so finally today, we're going to close out the series by looking at just one of those challenges from last week in particular. We kind of skipped over it last week because I told you we would go more in-depth this week, but we want to, uh, today we're going to look at the challenge of homosexuality and the challenge that poses to marriage and really our response uh, as Christians uh, to that. So we're in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Will you please stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, as uh, we look into your word this morning at this very important subject, uh, Lord, I pray that you would indeed teach us and help us, Lord, to learn how to uh, approach this subject biblically and with love and truth and grace and, and how to respond uh, in a manner that reflects your love and truth and grace as well. And so, Lord, we open our hearts for you to speak to us through your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So I suppose the first question someone might ask about today's message is, is why homosexuality? Why a whole week just on this one topic? And, you know, we, I guess we really could have taken any of the five challenges uh, from last week and, uh, and, and spent a whole week on it. If we were doing a longer series, we might have done that. We might have taken an additional week uh, for each one. But homosexuality is such a pressing issue in today's culture. I felt it was important uh, that we take a week uh, to look at this and to look at our response as Christians in this area. Uh, one of the objections you often hear 
uh, when pastors preach about homosexuality is they say, well, why don't you focus on heterosexual issues instead? Doesn't, doesn't heterosexual marriage have enough problems of its own? And my answer would say, oh, yeah, yeah, plenty of problems, which is why we took a whole week last week to basically just look at problems with heterosexual uh, issues. Uh, another objection you sometimes hear is that the church is just unduly focused on homosexuality. All the church ever talks about is money and gays. I hear that all the time. Well, I can't speak for all the churches, but the churches I know mostly talk about Jesus, right? I mean, that's what we do here. That's what most churches are really talking about all the time. But you see, when you preach and teach from God's Word, as you should, you will eventually cover all of the issues that God's Word addresses. And homosexuality is one of those issues. It's a big issue today, isn't it? In fact, it is being talked about all the time. Not all the time in the church, but all the time out in the world, right? I mean, on the news, on TV shows, at school. And so surely if everybody's talking about it out in the world all the time, surely we need to talk about it in the church as well. And so today we're going to talk about a Christian response to homosexuality. There's an outline in your worship guide. I strongly encourage you to take that out. It will help you to follow along uh, on the points. We've got a lot of material to cover in a short period of time. As we begin, we really need to talk about some of the underlying issues first. Before we get to the Bible and the Word of God, we need to look at the issues relating to homosexuality. There are four in particular uh, that I believe we should look at. First of all, we need to talk about the cause of homosexuality. Where, where does homosexuality come from? Uh, is it caused by a nature or nurture is the way it's sometimes phrased? Or put it another way, is it genetic? Is it something uh, we're born with? Or, or is it environmental? Is it something that, that happens uh, uh, in response to things after we're born? And that's a really, it's a huge question of research and debate today. Uh, it's also a very confusing uh, area because various interest groups have a vested interest, okay, in the answer to that question. It's, it, it's, it's one of those areas where it's difficult not to be biased, okay? So some groups, they'll jump on any research they can find which might show a genetic basis for homosexuality. Others are going to jump on any research they can find that will show an environmental basis. And so you're probably wondering, well, who's right? Which, which is it? Nature or nurture? And the short answer is we don't know, okay? We don't know. This is an area that's still being researched, There are no definitive answers. I will say this, though. As Christians committed to the truth, right? We're committed to the truth. As Christians committed to the truth, when it comes to research, okay, we should never be rooting, okay, for one side or the other. The more we understand an issue, the more we can help people with it. Truth is always our friend. And so we should examine all the evidence impartially, We should not be hoping for it to come out one way or the other. A second issue relating to homosexuality is how should we describe it? Uh, Is homosexuality an orientation or a choice is the way that's usually phrased. And those seeking to find a genetic basis for homosexuality, they usually do so. Why? Because they want to affirm homosexuality as an orientation. They believe that if a person was born that way, then they have no choice, and therefore we should accept them as they are, and they should not seek to change. Uh, Lady Gaga, a musician, you may or may not know her, but uh, she championed uh, this view with her song, Born This Way, 
uh, with the lyrics that go like this. No matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgendered life, I'm beautiful in my way because God makes no mistakes. I'm on the right track, baby. I was born this way. Okay, and so that's the, the, the genetic, the orientation uh, way of going about it. Others say, no, it's, it, homosexuality is not an orientation. It's a choice. It's a choice you make. We all make choices in life, and, and some people choose to live the homosexual lifestyle. So once again, which is it? I'll, I'll tell you right up front, I actually have problems with both views, and let me explain. I have a problem with the orientation view, because it's a fact that homosexuals many times do change, right? And so if it's an orientation fixed at birth, you would never change. But some do change. And this is particularly true in adolescence. Research shows that teenagers sometimes go through a period where they experience same-sex attraction. And then a year or two later, it's gone. And they never deal with it again. It would be wrong to tell that teenager, hey, this is an orientation. You were born this way. You can never change when it might just be a passing phase in their life. But I have a problem with the, with the choice view, too. And uh, Let me explain why. There, there are many people okay, who experience same-sex attraction who don't want to. Okay, they're not choosing. They don't want to experience this. There are, there are Christians, Christian believers, who experience the temptation of same-sex attraction, and they don't want to. They're not choosing these feelings. In fact, they struggle with them. They fight against it. They wish they would go away. And so I think a better way for, for us to describe homosexuality rather than orientation or choice, I think they, those both have problems, is to use the word attraction. There are people who, for whatever reasons, experience what we can call same-sex attraction. Some experience it as a persisting attraction, others as a passing attraction. Some are glad that they have this attraction, others wish they did not. People are still going to debate orientation versus choice, but something I believe we can at least all agree on is homosexuality always involves same-sex attraction. So why don't we just describe it that way? Third issue that needs to be addressed is the morality of homosexuality. Is homosexuality sinful or is it morally neutral? If homosexual practice is sinful, um, you know, then, then we need to, to deal with that. Now, I want you to notice something. Nothing, nothing we've said so far has addressed this whole issue of morality. Right? Whether, whether homosexuality is genetic or whether it's based on environment, that tells us nothing about whether it is sinful or morally neutral. Whether it's an orientation or a choice tells us nothing about whether it is sinful or morally neutral. In other words, the morality issue is separate from all of these other concerns. And so we're going we're gonna, to gonna be part two in your outline. We're going to see what the Bible says about the morality of homosexuality in just a minute. But before we get there, one more thing we've got to cover. And that has to do with homosexual practice. If homosexual practice is sinful, we still need to make a distinction between temptation and sin. Right? As we said before, there are some people who experience same-sex attraction, but they do not want to experience it. And very important here, they choose not to act on it. We need to remember that the temptation to sin 
is not the same thing as sin itself. All of us experience various temptations to sin, right? But that does not mean we're sinning. You can be tempted without giving in to temptation. Okay, now we've, we've covered some of those issues, and uh, you, you'll see we'll return to those uh, in various ways as we move on to our next section. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about homosexuality? And there are three, three things here the Bible is very clear on. First of all, the Bible tells us that homosexual relations are unnatural. Homosexual relations are unnatural. Look at Romans chapter 1 with me, beginning at verse 24. Paul writes, therefore God gave them over, and the them here is, is just mankind, okay? It's a general thing here. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. That's just talking about sexual immorality in general. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. Because of this, now, now he begins to get into homosexuality. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. And so this passage, these verses, contrast homosexual relations with heterosexual relations, saying (laughs) heterosexual relations are natural, homosexual relations unnatural. In other words, homosexual relations are not part of God's natural design for human beings. It's not a part of His original design. It goes against God's created order for human beings who are created as male and female in His image. Now, back to the issues. Those who maintain that homosexuality is genetic, uh, they argue, well, if, if people are born that way, then it must be natural, right? If you're born that way, it's natural. But first of all, we don't know if people are born that way, right? And then secondly, even if, if that's true, even if a genetic basis for homosexuality is found, that still does not mean that it is part of God's original design, right? Because the Bible tells us ever since mankind fell into sin... None of us, none of us have been born completely right. We are all born with sinful tendencies, and we are all affected by a sinful environment. We're all broken just in different ways. Some of us struggle with anger. Some of us struggle with envy. Some of us struggle with alcoholism. Some of us struggle with lust. Some of us are born that way. They're tendencies. We were born with some of those tendencies. Some of it's environmental. So once again, yeah, we don't know the causes of homosexuality. We are complex beings. It it may be a, a combination of genetics and environment, but that still doesn't change what God teaches us through His Word is that homosexual relations are unnatural. Homosexuality goes against God's created order for human beings. Secondly, the Bible tells us that homosexual practice is sinful. And here's where we need to distinguish between temptation uh, and sin. Homosexual practice is sinful. Leviticus 18 says, do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Now, some people say, well, that's Old Testament, so that doesn't count. Well, 
you can't just throw out the whole Old Testament, right? There are certain commands in the Old Testament that, yes, certain commands were just meant for the nation of Israel. There were certain ceremonial commands having to do with the temple and the sacrifices. Yes, those no longer apply. Christ has fulfilled all of that. But when it comes to the sexual and moral commands of the Old Testament, those commands apply to all people, all places, all times. How do we know that? Because it's not just in the Old Testament. We find them repeated in the New. And uh, the New Testament uh, also calls homosexual practice sinful. For example, uh, we read in 1 Timothy, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and the irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. These verses prevent a list, present a list of behaviors that are contrary to God's laws. Now, uh, the NIV, I, I really don't like their translation very much here. Uh, they... The, they translate perverts in verse 10. The, the uh, word in the original language literally means someone who practices homosexuality. That's what the word means. In fact, it specifically means someone who practices male homosexuality. And some of the other translations do a better job here. For example, the Engl- English Standard Version, ESV, translates it very simply as the, what the mean words, as men who practice homosexuality. Much better translation. And, and, but these are not the only verses. You know, I gave you one from the Old Testament, one from the New. You know, there are no verses in the Bible, from beginning to end, no verses in the Bible that portray homosexual relations in a positive light. There are multiple verses in both the Old Testament and the New Testament which teach us that homosexual practice is sinful. So homosexual relations are unnatural. Homosexual practice is sinful. But praise God, point number three, homosexual sin is forgivable. We read this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul writes, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's a couple of things I want you to notice from this passage. First of all, notice this. Homosexual practice is just one sin among many. Okay? Notice it is not singled out as a special sin here. No such thing as a special sin sin. It is listed along with other common sins, such as adultery, idolatry, stealing, greed, and slander. Some of those sins are ones that all of us have participated in. Secondly, notice that these are all sins that will keep you out of the kingdom of God. All of these ones, okay? The whole list. Now, granted, Any sin will keep you out of God's kingdom, right? But the point here is that you need forgiveness for your sin, right? For these sins and all other sins, you need forgiveness or you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then finally, I want you to notice that the people who committed these sins were forgiven. They were forgiven when they repented of their sin 
and they came to Jesus. That's what verse 11 says. Paul says, this is what some of you were. Okay, that's past tense. He says, this is what some of you were. He says, but now that you've come to Jesus, things are different. You're a new person. You're a new creation. Everything changes. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. You were forgiven in Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Three things. Homosexual relations are unnatural. Homosexual practice is sinful. Homosexual sin is forgivable. And then finally, what does the Bible say about homosexuality and marriage? Because this, this is a series on marriage after all, right? Foundations of marriage. And you know, we've already looked in depth at those foundations uh, over the past several weeks. But let me draw out three things from these past weeks that are so important. Uh, to our subject today. First of all, marriage is to be honored by all. We've looked at that verse, Hebrews 13, 4, a number of times. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the, the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Marriage should be honored by all and so we should work hard to preserve marriage in our culture as God designed it. Secondly, and we've seen this over the past several weeks, marriage is between a man and a woman. And we saw this when we looked at God's original design for marriage back in Genesis. We saw it again in the Gospels. Jesus affirmed God's original design, Matthew 19. And so biblically speaking, if the biblical definition of marriage includes between a man and a woman, a gay marriage is a contradiction in terms. Why? Because it is God who joins a man and a woman together in marriage. God does the joining in marriage, not the state. The state may proclaim two people as married. The state may proclaim two people of the same sex as married. But God has not joined them together in marriage, and therefore they are not married in God's sight. Thirdly, all sex outside of marriage is sin. We've seen this, 1 Thessalonians 4. It is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality. We saw that the word translated sexual immorality in that verse refers to any sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And so premarital sex, adultery, living together, homosexual relations, those are all instances of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. And so there really is no place in God's order for homosexual practice, whether within so-called homosexual marriage or without. Why? Because marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And sex outside of marriage is sin. Okay, we've looked at the issues relating to homosexuality. We've looked at what the Bible has to say about homosexuality and about marriage. And so now we're ready to come to us, our response. As Christians, how do we approach this issue? How do we respond to this? Most of us uh, have friends, coworkers, or family members who experience same-sex attraction. So how do we treat them? How do we uh, approach them? How do we respond to them as Christians? And I want to share with you as we close three vital truths that will help you with this. All three of them are on your outline so you can refer to them later. Number one. People who experience same-sex attraction are created in God's image and need to be treated with dignity and respect. I cannot stress that enough. All people are created in God's image, and we need to treat them with dignity and respect. You do not need to agree 
with a person's lifestyle or their beliefs in order to treat them respectfully. Unfortunately, this is an area where the church has often failed and failed greatly. Churches have, as churches, we have often spoken the truth, but we have not spoken the truth in love. And by and large, over the decades, we have not treated people who experience same-sex attraction with dignity and respect. And so that's a sin that we need to confess to the Lord. I read about a couple who had a gay waiter at a restaurant. Instead of leaving him a tip, they wrote a nasty note on the receipt and left that instead. That is not treating people with respect. I remember once when Rosie and I were uh, out in Fort Lauderdale, just uh, driving down US 1. We were really hungry. We just said, well, let's just go stop at the first place we see that looks good. Saw our restaurant look good. Went inside, sat down, got ourselves settled, started looking around, and we were the only straight couple in there. <laughs> so we, we did what we always do. We ordered our food. We chatted with our waiter. We held hands and prayed for our food before our meal. And we left a good tip for good service. People who experience same-sex attraction are created in God's image and need to be treated with dignity and respect. Number two, people who experience same-sex attraction share in our brokenness and need to be treated with love and compassion. Once again, we're all broken people, right? Just in different ways. And we need to treat each other with love and compassion. I need your love and compassion. You need mine. And that's how Jesus treated people, right? Even the ones who were nasty to him, even the ones who were mean to him, Jesus treated people with love and compassion. And I've got to tell you, I have a lot of compassion for people who experience same-sex attraction. And especially other Christians who experience same-sex attraction. Because whatever the cause of their brokenness, for them, following Jesus most likely means they will never marry. And that is a tough position to be in. It's the same compassion that I have for my heterosexual single Christian friends, some of them who long for marry, but God has not opened that door for them yet either. Marriage is a good gift from God, but it is not necessary to be complete. Jesus Christ was single, and he was the most complete human being who ever lived. So I want you to know if you're a Christian this morning, you are complete in Christ. And we need a strong theology of singleness in the church that honors singles and offers them community hospitality, and in-depth fellowship in the body of Christ. How do you respond if someone tells you that they are struggling with same-sex attraction? Perhaps a friend, perhaps a family member. How do you respond? The first thing you do is you say, thank you. You say, thank you for, for sharing with me such a deep and personal issue. Thank you, that takes a lot of courage, and, and you just showed a lot of trust in me by sharing. Secondly, listen. Say, 
Tell me about that. What's that like for you? Listen to them. Let them share their experience with you. Let them share what they're going through. But don't stop there. Thirdly, help them. Commit to praying for them. Commit to being their friend through all of this. Commit to helping them learn God's will for them in their situation. We're all broken people. People who experience same-sex attraction share in our brokenness. We need to treat everyone with love and compassion. And then finally, and this one should really go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, people who experience same-sex attraction, like all of us, okay, all of us, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And they need to hear the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. They need to hear that there is salvation and forgiveness and new life and hope in Jesus. And that's why we started our message this morning with those beautiful verses from 2 Corinthians. Those are the verses I want us to end with as well because these verses, 2 Corinthians 5, remind us, who are we? We are Christ's ambassadors reaching out to a fallen world with the good news of the gospel. We've been committed a ministry of reconciliation, not a ministry of judgment, a ministry and a message of reconciliation. But you know what? You can't reconcile anybody if you withhold the truth. And so we need to speak the truth in love as messengers of God's truth in his love. Here are these verses again that we began with today. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he is committed to us, to you, to me, to Plantation Community Church, to all of us. He is committed to us the message of reconciliation. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for all of who you are. You are the God of grace and truth. And Lord, you, you give us your commands and you reveal your truth to us for our good, for our benefit, and all your ways are faithful and loving uh, to those who seek to follow your commands. Lord, we confess our sin as, uh, as a church, as, as part of the corporate church around the world. Lord, we have failed in our area of being loving and respectful many times, and we are so sorry. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as we step forward with this beautiful message of hope and life and forgiveness and change that we can offer through Jesus. Lord, help us to love our neighbor as ourself and to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.